What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, and it is preview time once again. Just a few short weeks ago, the Cardinals began their 2018 campaign in New York, where the Mets took the opening series two games to one behind their dynamic duo of Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom. The Mets are currently 14-6, and six. the Cardinals are now 13-8, and eight. and that first series seems like a distant memory. Except for where it doesn't, and then it's kind of like deja vu, because Adam Wainwright is, once again, on the DL, and will not start against the New York Mets. As for what those Mets have been doing since then, other than just winning most of the time, well, that's what Neil Payne from the Panic City podcast is here to tell us. So, Neil, thank you for joining me. How are you on what will always, to me, be a weird off day Monday? It just always feels a little strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what's going on with the off day, but uh, I guess it's good. The Mets uh, have had a tendency in the past couple of years to sort of skip ahead to their getaway uh, before the series is even over. Uh, I guess we didn't have that problem uh, this weekend because of the, the rain out. But, yeah, so Monday as a travel day, if that kind of gets the team focused and, and they can kind of stay focused for the last game of series, I'll take that. Maybe when you don't play the last game of the series, uh, you just don't get worried about trying to finish out a series and, and carry momentum into the next one. I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching a bit. There's nothing to worry about <laughs> if you don't have to play it, at least. Yeah. Well, okay, so the Mets have been pretty good, uh, to, to put it quite bluntly, which is funny. When I previewed the opening weekend series uh, with Roger Cormier of the Good Funnies podcast, we were sort of joking about the fact that um, they made some changes in the offseason, but no one was still feeling super confident in, in what the Mets were really going to be. Um, so are you surprised, I guess, is the best place to start with how good the Mets have been? I'm yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. I think I was in the same camp. If you had asked me going into the season, I would have thought, you know, I, I have uh, modest expectations at best. And, and the way that the team has started has been more than modest, uh, especially the first couple weeks. I think they've cooled off in the last week. Uh, and, you know, as as a Mets fan uh, and somebody that follows the team intensely, I think you would sort of have the the doubt start to creep in and be like, OK, here's the real Mets. But uh, all told, it, it's been a pretty good start to the season. In a similar way, I was talking to somebody about Yadier Molina specifically yesterday because he's just been off to this terrific start this year. And it seems like every time you think Yadi can't possibly get any better, he comes out with a, an offensive season that blows you away or he starts you know, doing things differently defensively. But I was telling them, I was like, I just keep waiting for the other shoe to drop because... He can't really be this good, right? <laughs> well, especially as a 35-year-old catcher, you don't expect them to kind of come out and, and have really great offensive seasons. You know, we've seen catchers be able to stick around uh, in baseball for a while as sort of the defensive game caller, you know, kind of gritty veteran type, which, of course, is a role that he definitely can play also. Uh, but, you know, he, he's a he's a sneaky good uh, hitter, uh, especially, you know, as a Mets fan, I remember the, the 2006 <laughs> NLCS all too well in which he um, kind of 
spoiled uh, what had been a great game, a great, uh, you know, highlighted by Indy Chavez's catch. And then, of course, you know, Yachty comes in and hits that home run. So we have a long history with him, but uh, he's one of the players I think I've grown to respect most uh, in the National League uh, over that time, too, just because he's been so great for so long. It's amazing to watch someone sort of defy aging the way that Yadier Molina has. But that's that's a conversation for for another day entirely. So Tuesday's starter for the Cardinals is Luke Weaver. He's the only starting pitcher to lead the Cardinals to a win in that opening series in New York. The Mets then went on to win something like nine in a row against the Nationals and the Marlins at that point. What are the biggest developments since that opening series when we were all kind of just mostly excited that baseball was back? Well, you know, I think the biggest developments have been uh, just that the Mets starters have stayed relatively healthy. I mean, that sounds like such a low bar to clear, but uh, last but year's <laughs> team, yes, given the way last year's team was uh, just this incredibly injury-riddled mess, almost from this point in the season onward, uh, it, it kind of set in very early and just every time you thought it couldn't get worse, it just kept getting worse. Uh, and so just seeing guys go out there and take their turn through the rotation has been a victory in and of itself. Uh, and, you know, I think some uh, some guys doing better than expected. You know, we were worried about Steve Matz uh, going into the season and, and he has, you know, had his moments, uh, 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 his ups and downs so far, but he has not been as bad as he was last year. Um, and I think Zach Wheeler also has provided, uh, you know, an unexpected level of performance in, in the starts that he's made, which been a little few and far between. But, um, you know, all told, I think the rotation has played better than expected. And then the, the lineup with Todd Frazier uh, providing kind of a spark there has been a little bit of a surprise. I think people didn't think that this, uh, this team would really hit as well as it has. And uh, it, now we almost have like too much of a good thing trying to figure out what to do with Jay Bruce uh, and, and try to fit in uh, him into this outfield logjam uh, that includes Michael Conforto coming back and Brandon Nimmo playing really well. And uh, I guess Yoan Cespedes being there, uh, you know, waiting for him to turn around his season. Uh, but he's had he's had a few home runs uh, so far, most memorably that Grand Slam last week and that big comeback. Uh, and he's still trying to sort things out. He says playing golf will improve his swing. So I, I don't know if I buy that, but we'll see if that happens. <laughs> I would be curious about the uh, science behind that method of a golf swing improving your, your baseball abilities. I I you know, would be a bit I, skeptical, but if it works, it works, right? I'm pretty sure <laughs> Cespedes has not rigorously tested this in a scientific <laughs> manner. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a long history of Mets guys being like, I know my body, you know, as, as Noah Syndergaard famously said last year, and then he went out and got injured immediately. So it wouldn't surprise me if Cespedes, if, if the team gave him permission to go golfing, he would like instantly land on the disabled list <laughs> for three months. Which is probably why he hasn't been golfing, let's be honest. They're like, yeah, yeah. no, we'll find a different way to fix your swing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a couple of injuries. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Jay Bruce dealing with some plantar fasciitis. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, it's kind of been an ongoing issue for him. I think he struggled with it uh, at times over the past couple of years also. And so maybe that's playing into his offensive struggles so far. But yeah, he has not gotten off to the best start to the season. 
and it's it's tough to say how much you want to ask somebody to kind of battle through an injury like that and try to you know stay in the lineup every day and just gut it out versus you know maybe he needs a little bit of rest and see if that will help things it's one of those things that having never experienced it myself it seems like such an annoyance that it's it's just this thing that doesn't go away. Obviously, as a Cardinals fan, it's a thing that Albert Pujols dealt with a lot um, and, and sort of was part of, I don't know, downfall might be a little dramatic, but sort of the part of where he peaked and then hasn't really ever been the same was when he was dealing with that repetitively. Um, but it is one of those things that it seems like it's just such a constant battle and it really takes guys out of their their normal space and their normal routine of being able to do any part of baseball well. Yeah, and I think baseball is a sport that's kind of uniquely uh, set up to make that difficult because it is so much about attrition. It's about going out there every day and just staying in the lineup uh, and and something that's really kind of a repetitive injury and, and a nagging injury can have really a bad effect on you if you just try to play through it every day. There's so many games uh, that the temptation is there to go out there and, and just gut it out. Uh, and we never really know uh, if you don't go on the disabled list and if the injury report doesn't list it. We don't know what kind of injuries guys are dealing with at any given time. They probably are dealing with a lot of things that we just never even hear about. Yeah, and that's that's probably far more true than we uh, give credit to a lot of times. Another guy, though, with a pretty well-documented injury, Travis Darno out uh, for the season, which puts the Mets in a bit of a bind as far as the catcher position is concerned. What's the situation there, and, and how do you see that shaping out? What do they need to do? Well, Darno has been uh, known, like you alluded to, for having injury problems for a number of years now. And so I don't know what the answer is with him. I, we've come to expect that he will just, you know, pencil him down for missing half the season and, uh, you know, try to deal with it. And maybe it's kind of a condemnation of uh, Sandy Alderson that they really haven't found a very good, effective solution as a backup to Darno. You know, every year, they, they kind of treat the catcher position as though he will stay healthy for 162 games and kind of not really build in that insurance, knowing full well that he will not uh, and that you will need some kind of insurance. And sometimes, you know, uh, a backup veteran type of guy like a Rene Rivera steps in and plays admirably. And that was the case uh, a couple of years ago uh, with the Mets. But you know, right now they're trying to go with a combination of Thomas Nito, who is this sort of organizational guy. Maybe you could call him a prospect. Um, and, and the book is still out on him. And then, of course, Jose Lobatone, who is a veteran uh, of many years. And, and he hasn't really been acquitting himself that well in the couple weeks that he's been in the starting job. So, yeah, the catcher position is a bit of an issue for the team. If you Even among this kind of great start that they've gotten out to, if you had to pick an area of, of real weakness that will continue to be that going forward, I think it really is that situation at catcher. And, you know, it kind of begs the question of, do you start to think about trading for someone uh, and maybe trading from a position of strength uh, that, that the team has built otherwise? Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard many rumors on that front. So we'll see if they try to go in that direction. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if it's 
too early in the year to start thinking about a trade at this point because of the just sort of the inherent value of that catcher position, especially when you're dealing with a rotation of guys that um, maybe there are great expectations of, but haven't always lived up to that, whether you're talking about Wheeler or or Mats or then just handling guys like Noah Syndergaard and, and Jacob deGrom. There's a lot of responsibility on that catcher position for it to just sort of be this floating, we'll see what happens sort of plan. Yeah, and that might be one of the biggest things that uh, the the biggest negative effects of losing a guy like Travis Darno is he has a long history of managing this pitching staff. He is regarded when he does play as one of the best pitch framers in in baseball in terms of kind of uh, stealing strikes away uh, that that are kind of borderline calls. And so that even more than his bat which has been good uh, at times, but also has had moments where it just was really not living up to expectations, uh, might be the biggest cost of having him out of the lineup. If you ever play the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, Tori Lovello, not a fan of pitch framing. It got pretty ah. heated. I don't know if you saw the uh, incident between Tori Lovello and Yadier Molina, but there, were, see that, there yes. were words, there were you know, benches clearing all over the idea of stealing strikes, I think. So just just a warning if if you should ever be in that scenario. It's Lavello's not a fan. <laughs> I guess one person's stolen strike is another person's lost, I don't know, uh, uh, fraudulent ball or something like that. I don't know. There's there's two sides to every pitch frame. Right. And it is, you know, it's it's part of the skill set that, that major league catchers try to develop. And they do that for a reason, because their job is to try to, you know, get their pitcher as, as many good calls as possible. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that I think there's so much that's overlooked about the catching position in that regard, whether it's someone that is known offensively or not, because there's, it's every day. It's, it's, a, it's so much a part of what the team's success is every day. I do want to ask you more about pitching, but before I do that, I want to ask you about Brandon Nimmo, because as someone outside of the Mets fandom world, I see so many people talking about Nimmo and the fact that perhaps he's better than he's being allowed to show in the amount of playing time that he gets. Free Brandon Nimmo. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So tell me why. Sell me on Brandon Nimmo. Well, so Nimmo is a relatively young guy. He's 25, and he's a guy that can play pretty much all the outfield positions, which is, you know, you wouldn't think that that would be that much of an asset. But on a team like the Mets, where there really isn't a center fielder to speak of, aside from Juan Lagares, who can't really hit, you have to kind of platoon him if you are going to keep him in the lineup. It is a valuable guy to have. And so, you know, the team went into the season, they had seen Nimmo uh, perform really well down the stretch last year, one of the few bright spots uh, of last season, but they weren't really sold on giving him a, uh, a starting job outright. And that was one of the reasons why they went out and they got uh, Jay Bruce was just, you know, have this veteran guy, this run producer, whatever you want to call him, who has a track record rather than trust the young guy who doesn't have as much of a track record with having an everyday job. And so as it turns out, 
because Michael Conforto is injured to start the year, he's still recovering from a shoulder injury that happened last year. Nimmo does get that everyday job coming out of you know the spring, and he plays great right out of the gate, uh, and Conforto comes back a little bit earlier than anticipated, and suddenly you have this logjam, like I mentioned earlier, in the outfield where Cespedes is going to play every day. He's one of the highest, if not the highest paid player on the team, uh, and, and he can only play left field. He's not good at center field anymore. He doesn't want to play center field anymore anyway. He wants uh, to play golf. And- I mean, we, he we wants to play that. golf. Uh, yeah, mainly. <laughs> that seems like it. Uh, and so, you know, Conforto is an all-star. He uh, needs to be in the lineup every day when he's healthy. And so that leaves right field. Uh, and, you know, for better or for worse, it's a little difficult to justify moving somebody like Bruce with his, his reputation and his tenure within the game uh, to make room for a younger guy. And maybe there was a little bit of a line of thought that if um, the first base position sort of struggled coming out of the gate they they went out and they got adrian gonzalez and you know this kind of patchwork group of guys to play first uh that maybe you could play jay bruce at first um that was a position that he kind of tried out for the first time and you know acquitted himself okay at uh last season during the dregs of the disastrous year that it was and so before he got traded to cleveland and so um, I think that was kind of the thought process going in was, hey, Nimmo is good insurance. Now you kind of have almost a good problem to have, which is you don't really know where you're going to fit in uh, all the guys that you have uh, and get them the appropriate amount of playing time. I mean, Ligaris is another guy that, you know, if Nimmo needs to be freed, maybe Ligaris also needs to be freed because um, he, he has actually played really well between coming up with some timely pinch hits and throwing out guys at the plate uh, in the early going. Um, he's another guy that could be a starter somewhere if he was given the, the opportunity. So, that's kind of the situation there where you have Jay Bruce, who's not really hitting very well, not certainly not playing good defense. He had a really terrible miscue on a, on a ball hit to right the other day. And uh, you kind of keep him in the lineup, hoping that things will turn around uh, and he'll kind of live up to his reputation. But at the same time, you're kind of denying playing time to some of these younger guys or, or maybe less heralded players that might deserve it. That's always such an interesting balance and one that I find myself often glad I don't have to make a decision about because, I mean, the Cardinals are in an interesting situation this year where um, they do have some young guys that they've called up since the start of the season, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, both outfielders that have filled in, um, Harrison Bader in particular, quite quite well uh, when the need has been there. Um, But you're also talking about an outfield that, includes Marcelo Zuna and Dexter Fowler and Tommy Pham, who made himself into one of the best outfielders in baseball in in a short stint last year. Um, So those are not guys that are necessarily going to get a long look, and you sort of have to balance giving them the appropriate playing time to, uh, you know, be useful and effective. Um, But, you know, what do you do with those, those sort of established players? The Cardinals have also had that conversation as far as their bullpen is concerned, particularly as it relates to Jordan Hicks, who has kind of become the sensation of the season for the Cardinals. 21 year old kid, they put on the opening day roster, never pitched a day over a ball. And um, he's, he's incredible, but they took a risk with a young, guy knowing that if it worked out um it would be 
pretty extraordinary, and so far it has been. The Cardinals' bullpen took a little while to take shape, <laughs> uh, but I think we're starting to see some things fall into line as far as their bullpen is concerned. I know that the Mets' bullpen has, for the most part, been a relative strength as well, although there were a couple of issues, as you mentioned, in the last week. The team cooling off from that torrid pace they were on, and the bullpen was a part of that. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty substantial part, I would say, in, um, in, in one of the, the most notable blow-up, I guess, uh, of the week. And uh, it kind of underscores there's always kind of an inherent roller coaster ride going on with the Mets' closer, J. Reese Familia, who uh, I think I wrote a story a couple years ago when he led the league in saves or was close to the top of the league in saves that he had. He was the best pitcher in baseball at pitching himself into trouble, but then also pitching himself back out of the trouble. So like, you know, he came out ahead in the end, but it was always kind of this heart attack. You had other relievers like, you know, your Andrew Millers of the world and so forth, who just never gave themselves a chance to get into trouble in the first place. They just kind of took care of business and, and closed things out, or in his case, bridged the gap so that he could set things up for the closer. And uh, that's just not the way Familia does things. And then the Mets went out and they got A.J. Ramos, who was the former closer for the Marlins. The Marlins, of course, did their little fire sale where they traded away anyone who had any, as you well know, with Marcelo <laughs> Zuna. <did>, <laughs> um, any, anyone who had any kind of value whatsoever was out the door uh, for them. And so it, it was a really good pickup, I think, in some ways, because you have as a setup man now a guy who had been a closer elsewhere. But he's another guy who... All you really need is that uh, that high wire act closer is to have a guy who gets a lot of strikeouts, but also walks a lot of batters. And uh, you know, when he when he works, he he works sometimes outside the strike zone and hopes that guys chase. And if they don't chase, you you have a problem on your hands. And so that's sort of the mo for a lot of the Mets bullpen, and it's worked most of the time so far. But when it doesn't work. It doesn't work in spectacular fashion. <laughs> uh, I think Cardinals fans might suggest Trevor Rosenthal would be one that would give Familia a run for his money in the uh, working into and out of trouble department. Um, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, uh, he's not pitching this season uh, due to an injury that, that may or may not be because of the overuse that led to a lot of those heart attacks uh, for Cardinals fans the last couple of seasons. But that's that ninth inning always seems to be just so much more of a challenge than anything else is. So it's uh, it's if you can get that right, it seems like everything else tends to fall into place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lot easier said than done sure. uh, also. <laughs> um, now, one guy that the Cardinals will not see out of the starting rotation, uh, no one will see out of the starting rotation for now, is Matt Harvey. Um, yes. This is a point of very strong opinions, I think, from people that I've seen so far. Now, coming from the Cardinals side of things, Adam Wainwright is that guy that was once one of the best in the game that now doesn't quite have it. He's back on the DL preventatively, uh, whatever that really means as far as elbow inflammation is concerned. Um, but there's been talk about moving him to the bullpen, seeing if working in shorter stints is more effective. Matt Harvey to the bullpen. What does that do for him or for the Mets? Well, I think the the hope is that being able to free him up to kind of just not hold anything back and, and kind of pitch to his strength, which was always being able to overpower 
uh, batters might get him back into a place where where he once was so dominant. I'm not completely sold on that. I mean, he's not the same pitcher that he was when he was coming up as the Dark Knight and, you know, was kind of the toast of of the city. Uh, he hasn't really been that pitcher in a few years. And if you look at the peripherals and the underlying metrics, they're not really uh, overly impressive. He's he's not getting the same level of strikeouts that he was, and and his control issues, you know, they come and go. He he has a penchant for allowing a lot of home runs recently, which is uh, you know not the sign of an overwhelming you know unhittable dominant pitcher, and so. You know, the first thing that I think of is I don't know if I want a guy who's shown a lack of velocity going into the bullpen where you really need those guys to have the power arms more than even coming out of the starting rotation. But there is evidence to show that, you know, when a, when a pitcher is a starter, they have a very different approach uh, and they conserve themselves and they don't throw as hard as they can uh, as as when they're in the bullpen. So that's it's sort of a last ditch Hail Mary uh, effort to try to reclaim some kind of value out of a guy who once was one of the most valuable pitchers in baseball and now really has lost almost all of that value. I mean, it, it was it's either this or I guess the next step is being DFA'd, which is kind of shocking uh, for a guy of his reputation. Just a few years ago, he's in the World Series and was you know pitching really well and uh, late into innings of of a World Series game. And now he's, you know, kind of clinging to a spot on a major league roster. It's it's sad to see. I've seen uh, sort of the suggestion that moving him to the bullpen is sort of a, a temporary reclamation project to, to try to get him back to where he should be or he could be or he can be. Do you see this as a temporary thing or is this sort of what Matt Harvey is going to have to be to be effective on a major league roster? I don't know, because there's such a sentiment around him that if he does actually show signs of life out of the bullpen, uh, there, there will start to be the calls for him to return to the rotation. I mean, there's such a love affair with this guy because he was really the only thing worth watching on the Mets for, for a number of years. I mean, the team was so bad when he didn't start that Harvey Day was circled on the calendar every every five days. Uh, and so you, you even saw it when he came out and he gave, I think it was like five good innings in his first start of the season uh, and, and looked solid. A bunch of people, uh, Mets fans and, and observers alike, were sort of starting to kind of be like, ooh, this is it. He's coming back. This is the sign. You know, this is the year. And then, of course, you know, he kind of lets lets everyone down uh, with, with his with his performance after that. So but on a practical level, I mean, he is kind of a guy who relies on his fastball and his slider and, and a change of pace. And if you can be like a two or three pitch guy, uh, and and really, you know, hone that stuff and and dominate with that. There is a spot for you in a bullpen um, if he can keep that velocity up. So that's really kind of the way in which it goes right is he, you know, recovers from the multiple miles per hour that he's lost off his off his heater uh, by just being able to go all out in that bullpen role and then be, you know, fastball slider, occasional change up you know, see if it works. Sometimes it does. I don't know what the success rate is for converted starters that, you know, are coming off of years of underperformance and injury and they try to make it in the bullpen. I would suspect it's not really all that good, but I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. I would imagine there's a, a mental side of that as well. Uh, 
first of all, living up to the nickname The Dark Knight can't be easy for anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah. No pressure, Matt Harvey. Um, but, you know, I think there there has to be a little bit of the mind game that goes on there, too, when you've been that guy in the past. And you. I think the same thing is true about Adam Wainwright. When you can't figure out how to replicate what you know you were once capable of doing, um, it's got to gotta mess with your mind a little bit. Yeah, and especially with Harvey, the you know, as he was going through his sort of de-evolution over the past couple of years, people kept pointing back to saying that it was psychological as much as anything. They they kind of expected that that so much of his dominance was tied up in that kind of swagger and that ability to just throw something by you that when he didn't have that anymore, it really shattered the core of who he was as a pitcher. I don't know how much of that is armchair psychology because I do think it comes down to stuff and execution and command as much as anything. And, and you know, if, if you can't command your pitches, all the swagger in the world isn't going to help you. Uh, but there might be something to that. I mean, he was defiant uh, up to the day that he was uh, put into the bullpen of, I'm not a relief pitcher. I'm a starting pitcher. And that does seem to be kind of core to his identity. So the very least, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to this uh, new newfound role and newfound kind of self-image that he has to kind of work around. Well, unless your name is Yadier Molina, I don't think swagger allows you to defy aging. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that's part of the process. However, um, for Adam Wainwright, that uh, there's... I think that eventually the fact that he's not 25 years old anymore uh, is simply going to be the reality that he, that he has to face. So he's back on the DL. He will not be starting the opener in the series on Tuesday. It will be Luke Weaver who will be facing uh, Wheeler for the Mets. Now, you mentioned him making just a couple of starts so far this season. Um, I feel like this Mets rotation is... There are guys in the mix that have been talked about for so long... Um, that you're sort of watching to see, okay, is are they ever actually going to be what we thought they would be? Whether it's Wheeler or Mats who will pitch in game two against Michael Waka. Yeah, and Mats is the real question mark. I mean, he has been all over the place over the past couple seasons, and you never know what you're going to get out of him on a start. He could allow nine runs, or he could allow zero runs <laughs> and, and look good. And so... Uh, you know, it, the jury is still out on him. Wheeler is a guy who had really extreme control problems uh, and, and was shut down with injury last year also. And so just seeing him back on the mound and, and giving some kind of, uh, you know, workload is, is nice to see from him. And he's, he's pitched pretty well on a per inning basis. There's also a couple of guys of note that have been working primarily out of the bullpen, but I guess technically they are starters uh, or could be called upon to be starters, and you'll probably see a good amount of them, and that's Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo, uh, who, you know, there's speculation about, always speculation about when they would join the starting rotation, or maybe they're like one injury away from being in there. Um, and so, you know, those guys have been doing good work so far this season, but uh, they, they were not as reliable last season, and they weren't as healthy, truth be told. Yeah, that always that always seems to be the bottom line, uh, especially when you're talking about pitchers. Now, one guy that there haven't been too many questions about is Noah Syndergaard and what he was able to do against the Cardinals uh, on opening day. Now, he gave up some runs, but 10 strikeouts in that start against the Cardinals lineup uh, reminded everyone, I think, what he's capable of being. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there are question marks with him and maybe it's, you know, maybe becoming a little bit spoiled by how great he is <laughs> at, at just dominating people. But he has serious problems at controlling the running game. Uh, and he's a guy that also just is not economical yet in his uh, his his approach to pitching and, and starting out games. He really seldom makes it, especially so far this season, he seldom made it deep into a game. It'll be like the fifth inning and he'll be at like 100 pitches and you have to take him out at that point. And that's one of the big reasons why I think as a whole, the Mets starters have not averaged that many um, innings per start and they've really asked a lot of, of the bullpen. So Syndergaard can be kind of a frustrating pitcher in that regard because when he's on, he is so dominant. But, you know, even, uh, you know, somebody will get a very uh, cheap hit off of him, right? Like they'll they'll bloop one. They'll finally just kind of deposit uh, a, a ball uh, past the shortstop or something. And then, like, you never know what's going to happen. That guy will get around to score uh, more often than you might think just because he, he doesn't really – I don't know if it's a complex, if it's like a John Lester type thing, or if it's just a refusal to kind of ad adapt your style to pitching with men on base. But, um, you know, between that and the Mets patchwork uh, setup at catcher, the, controlling the running game has been a huge problem for the team this year, and, and Syndergaard has been sort of like – uh, culprit A in, in that problem, I think. Well, the Cardinals will uh, send out Carlos Martinez in that last start. And since opening day, we've seen a very different Carlos Martinez on the mound, really the guy that everyone expected. I think coming out of spring training, Carlos was having some control issues. He wasn't quite where he needed to be. That first start was pretty reminiscent of what we saw from him in spring training. Um, and all of a sudden, everyone was, was sort of questioning yet again, Carlos Martinez as the ace of the staff or not, he's he's kind of quieted the doubters at this point. In the starts, I would say so. <laughs> in the start since then, he's, he's reminded everyone, uh, whether they're Cardinals fans or not, um, just how special he is as a pitcher. And I think I was talking last week in the, the series preview um, before this Red Series that if I wasn't a Cardinals fan, I would still want to watch Carlos Martinez starts because what he does is so fascinating. And it's just really special to be able to watch him every five days. Um, and then to see him go up against, I mean, it's whatever the issues may be with Syndergaard, it's, it's not an easy task trying to, you know, score runs off of a guy that struck out the same lineup 10 times uh, in the last in the last matchup. Um, but to put this Carlos Martinez up against Syndergaard, it should be a very exciting game. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, these are two of the elite aces in the entire game. And the other thing I like about Carlos Martinez is he works fast. Yes. You, you, you don't <laughs> see that as much from guys. It's, it's refreshing to see a game not drag on forever because somebody's, you know, staring in for the sign and, and won't deliver the ball. And actually, you you sort of know when Carlos Martinez is off because he's not working as fast. When yeah. he's in his rhythm and he's on his game, he just wants the ball back as quickly as he can get it so that he can he can throw it again. When he's off, there's a lot more <laughs> in between every pitch trying to sort of figure out how to reel it in a little bit. So, uh, yeah, that's I think guys like working behind him for that reason as well. <laughs> um, one question not related to this series at all. Quite honestly, not related to the major leagues at all, but uh, we got the question on Twitter, so I, I 
I asked for questions. I will I will ask the question that I was given, uh, and that is naturally Tim Tebow. Sure. That's, that's all I need to say. Just what is the what is the uh, Tim Tebow report? <laughs> uh, well, the report is apparently he is doing uh, a little bit better after um, he had a bit of a, a rough patch in Double uh, A. Uh, and, and he's, he hit a home run and then went through kind of a slump, but now he's kind of surging, uh, and, and we all know that eventually, you know, the team is straight up said that they want him to make the major leagues. They, they intend for him to make the major leagues. And so, you know, I, I think in September there will be a real danger in my, in, in, in my uh, view of things, because I think the whole thing is a complete sham. Uh, of, of him making the majors and, you know, all those thousands of other players who were far superior baseball players that never got a chance to make the majors will have to kind of look at this guy who's coming up as a uh, a publicity stunt and a way for the Wilpons to kind of con people into paying their hard-earned money for jerseys and, and for tickets and for various other things. So, I don't know. I'm just hoping that it isn't too much of a distraction and too much of a sideshow. And hopefully the team is still in contention at that point and that you can kind of look at it and be like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't bring this completely unqualified player into the major leagues, even though rosters expand and so on and so forth. But yeah, the whole thing is just, I know why they're doing it and I know it's about money and uh, it's, it's not about actual playing ability, which is a little sad. It's been interesting to watch from the outside. Um, full disclosure, I was a, a fan of Tim Tebow, the college football player. Sure. Um, I enjoyed who, watching who him try to make it in the NFL. Um, I don't, I, I constantly forget that Tim Tebow, the baseball player, is a thing because <laughs> it's not in my organization and I don't have to think about it. Um, so when people started asking me that, I was like, oh yeah, that is, I guess I should probably ask about that. Um, but yeah, you know, the good news is the Mets are pretty good right now. So there are lots of other things to talk about. Yeah. And, and <laughs> they're, they're too good to justify bringing up someone like that right now. So you, you probably won't get a glimpse of Tebow in this series, at least. Hopefully. <laughs> they might talk about it though, because who knows? Who knows what oh yeah, are. I would imagine. I mean, there's always uh, room in the in the booth to kill time and and talk about things, and so I wouldn't be surprised if his name came up. Well, the the series this week should be exciting. I think both of these teams have a lot of of intrigue about them this year. The Cardinals coming off of another sweep of the Reds, which sounds cool, but the Reds aren't really good right now. So the Reds are barely a major league team, right. I think, at yeah. this point. I in fact. I, I, all the Reds people who followed me because of the preview last week, I'm just going to apologize now. Um, I think that the Memphis Redbirds could beat the Cincinnati Reds right now. Because uh, they're pretty good. They're a solid triple-A team. <laughs> um, but it's, it's nice to sort of get some of the, the level of competition up and, you know, test the waters. See where both of these teams are coming off of a strong start or coming off of, you know, a couple of good series in a row against perhaps less competitive teams than you'll see uh, down the stretch. So thank you for uh, chatting with me about the series, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks again to Neil for joining me today to set up this series, which should be interesting, but will also be very telling, at least for the Cardinals. Sweeping the Reds twice in consecutive series is a big deal in that it's hard to sweep anyone twice in consecutive series. 
But the reality is, the Reds aren't a great measuring stick for how good the Cardinals are or can be. It's going to take playing teams like the Mets to start to figure that out. And with the division race looking like it's going to be tight, at least for a while, this is as good a time as any to figure out who these Cardinals really are. Thanks again for checking out yet another series preview. I hope you guys are enjoying them as much as I am. And if there's ever anyone you would like to see on a series preview, just hit me up and let me know. Also, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube so then you don't have to wait for me to tweet out the link to these videos. You can just see them for yourself. Or if you're of the listener variety, make sure you're subscribed to the Birds on the Black podcast over on iTunes. That will update you automatically when there's a new episode as well, which will happen before the next series. Until then, I'm Tara Wellman.